Amen. May he help. Well, guys, grab a Bible. We are in the book of Acts tonight, and so if you would, grab your Bible or a Bible in front of you in the chairs or using a device, however it works for you. Join us tonight in Acts 14 as we make our way through this chapter. That's really our aim on Wednesday nights, kind of covering the Bible at about a chapter a week pace. We're going to do our best to cover uh, this whole chapter tonight and longing that he would meet us in that. Once more, again, inviting you to see it, though, that his word would work into your life. So that's true here, that's true online or in the overflow. Invite you, join us in the word of God. And, and so let's just ask in prayer. I'm going to quickly lead in prayer and ask God to speak to us. I quietly just want you to ask the same, just hey, that you would ask God to make what he wants you to hear heard and accomplished into your life. Father, I think of Hebrews 4 and that chapter that we got to read today for many of us, and you tell us that your word is a sharp two-edged sword. It is just that that pierces into the core of who we are. Uh, it just cuts in between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Lord, your word is powerful, and it's good. It's this surgical weapon, as it were, that can actually do a work on the inside of us. And as for me, I just want to step before you and say, yes, please. Um, I love that that's what you're offering. I love that that's what you do, that that's that, that work that's internal and real. And so, Lord, yes, please, speak tonight. Speak to us right where we are, right what we need. Help us to hear it and work your good work in it. We ask together for that as we just lay this evening at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Hey, those words in Acts 14 tonight are the encouragement that Paul shares with those that he has been bringing the gospel to. In fact, you might just want to scan down there and see it in the text there in verse 22. He says he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Wow. What a good word, and yet what an honest word. I find myself thinking of Jesus, who that night before he went to the cross was sharing with his disciples, and he told us very clearly, in this world you will have tribulation. Like, that's a, that's a promise. In this world, it's going to be hard. I mean, you're going to face hard things, and yet in the midst of that, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love the peace he offers. I love the truth that he's overcome. But I also, again, so love the honesty. It's, it's a promise that life's going to be hard. In this world, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face trial. You're going to face tribulation. In fact, the more we seek to live godly, it'll be that way. Paul would say it in 2 Timothy 3, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. I mean, it's a promise. It's not one of those promises that most of us are like, oh, I love that promise. Kind of have it up on a little magnet on my fridge, you know. It doesn't work that way. Nobody does that, but there is a sense that it's true. 
Now, somebody's going to go and do that. I know that. So, but just uh, you get where I'm going. I mean, it's just one of those things that we think, hey, that's not something we always want to hang our hat on. But somehow, again, I love the honesty of the scripture that he lets us know that, that that's the road that we're on, that there's no surprise to it, that if you find yourself in a world that you find yourself thinking, man, sometimes this is hard. In fact, the more I try to live for Jesus, sometimes the harder it gets. And sometimes we almost find ourselves thinking, is that the way it's supposed to be? And it certainly is. It's in that space of there, and it's right that it would be so. In fact, there's something about it that altogether we could find that encouraging. Well, that's where we want to go because we're right in the middle of uh, Paul's first missionary journey where he's been making his first gospel outreach into the Gentile world. Just led by the Holy Spirit, launching out that first missionary journey is found in Acts 13 and 14. Today we're in chapter 14, and so we're joining right in the middle of that. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, we saw the beginning of it uh, there in chapter 13 where they were sent out by the Holy Spirit and just incredible spaces there. We saw them pass through Cyprus and then up in Antioch of uh, Pisidia, which is where we were last week. And tonight we continue that journey. And and they find themselves uh, in a a city called Iconium. Now, again, it's there in the tax that we're going to see it in the midst of it. In fact, you might just want to gaze there uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 14, where it just simply tells us, you know, now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue. So again, just pausing so you see that. Might be helpful. You probably have uh, maybe little maps in your Bible or places you can see it, but it might be helpful to just quickly put it on the screen and remind you where this is. So it started up there in Antioch. Uh, Antioch in Syria, uh, modern-day Turkey, where the, the gospel was going forward, where Paul was. They'd launched out from Antioch, landed in Seleucia, went down to Cyprus, traveled through the entire island of Cyprus, bringing the gospel city after city, village after village. Then they landed up into Pisidia, went up their way to Antioch, which is where we were last week, and now they've made their way across, and they're over here in the city of Iconium. And they begin to bring the gospel there, and they begin to see the things that are happening there, and that's what we want to journey. And yet again, partly what we want to do is, is just gaze through this chapter, because although, again, just believing that God might bring something else out of this chapter for you, certainly one of the things we want to notice is the reality of what Paul is going to say at the end of it. Hey, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And that is not something he's just talking about. It's something he lives out in front of them. And that's exactly what we get to see. So notice it with me there at the beginning. It says, uh, in fact, that's how he gets to Iconium, by the way. Actually, back up to the end of chapter 13, verse 51 of chapter 13. Um, actually, verse 50, excuse me. It says, but the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women and chief men of the city, and they raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from the region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So it's, again, worth just noting. I mean, that which has them in the city is persecution. I mean, they just got kicked out uh, of Antioch and Pisidia. They just got driven out of the city. They kicked the dust off in many ways. Go to the next city. They're found here at Iconium. Verse 1, now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. And spoke, to, the, to, and spoke to, that, uh, to that great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. 
So they find themselves there. They follow the same practice they've been doing. They speak in the synagogue, reaching out to the Jews, but even Greeks who would be hearing, and people begin to hear. I mean, they spoke in a great multitude of people who are there. They, man, they listen. Uh, they begin turning. I mean, it's a good movement that's happening in the midst of this. Again, the gospel's going forward, which is exciting. But, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So just pause there and just feel it for a sense. I mean, it's going well, the gospel's going forward, and yeah, now there's opposition. And it's an opposition that they just begin to you know, poison them against it to kind of give them so that the people are turning, the hearts of people are turning in many ways. Uh, there's opposition rising in the midst of it. And yet, notice how it begins in verse 3. Therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who is bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I just like the wording of it. I think it's just powerful just to read it. Therefore, they stayed. That's just a good response. See, they get there and they find out things are not necessarily going swimmingly. There's opposition, there's difficulty, there's trials. And sometimes the knee-jerk reaction to such a thing is, Therefore, they quit. <laughs> Therefore, they said, I don't want to play. You know, I mean, if, if, this is how, if, if this is how the game is played and there's, you know, animosity and trouble and trial, like, I'm going to move the other way. And yet, they kind of respond the other way. I mean, just the, the opposition kind of moves. And it's like, hey, we're going to stay. I mean, we're going to stay and, and, and share. And that's a powerful response. If you think that the Christian life is supposed to be one where everything's easy. And, and, and you know, that the path of re- least resistance is the path that you're supposed to walk. It would be maybe not surprising that that's the path you would choose. But if you understand it, that you understand, no, that's exactly what I'm expecting. I'm expecting that if I'm going to do something for Jesus, of course there's going to be pushback. And instead of that being a discouragement, it becomes an encouragement. We talked last week, for those who are here, about John Wesley and kind of his place that he kind of, you know, writes in some of his journals of just the place where when persecution wasn't there, it was scary to him. It's like, okay, God, are you in this? I mean, like, how else will I know? And, and there's something about it that should give us that response. And as much as I can feed it into your heart right now, I just would like to. I would like you to be someone who could say, hey, it got hard, therefore I stuck with it. You know, they, you know I mean, they, they got to be a little bit difficult, and I stayed. You know, I, I persevered. I mean, there's just ought to be something in that that ought to be true in our lives. In fact, it can be and ought to be that sometimes that's almost encouraging. It's like, of course the enemy's pressing in. Man, it's missing God's working. Like, of course I'm going to press into that very thing as well, and God's working. God's working, there's supernatural signs happening there, kind of just verifying it, God's working in the midst of it, but there's a tenacity in spite of the opposition. That's a good space. That's a good space that would encourage you and I into that same kind of thing, that we would have that, you know, therefore they stayed there a long time. Like, they, okay, we're, we're going we're to hang in there for, for a long space until, verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and in part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt uh, was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled 
to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So it's worth just kind of following, kind of an interesting thing. They're there. I mean, there's opposition, there's difficulty, and they stay there a long time until, until they, they, they begin to find out it's kind of ramped up. Now it, it's crossed from opposition to violence. Uh, they're planning on killing them. Uh, they're planning on stoning them. They're planning on, uh, you know, to abuse and stone them. It tells us when they became aware of it, verse 6 they fled, uh, Lystra and Derby, the, the cities at Laconia, and, the surround, and they went to the surrounding region. And there's just something, I mean, in one sense, this is like one of those like basic things that you would think, of course, I mean, that just makes like natural sense, but sometimes it's almost just helpful to see it. You know, there is a place where we are expecting opposition, we're expecting difficulty, and boy, that's just not going to be a surprise, and we stay. There is a space, though, when it gets dangerous, and it's like, okay, you know, you have to make some different choices at those places. I mean, at this moment, it's their, you know, you know their lives are going to be killed. They're, they're going to be in that, and they say, okay, well, I guess we're, we're done here. You know, you know now we are going to quit. Now we are going to quit this city. Now we are going to pull out because it's gotten that difficult and, you know, into that kind of a dangerous thing, and there's just something helpful there. Uh, in, in a space of seeing the balance between, hey, when you stay, and when you say, okay, no, it's, it's not a time you stay. You know, when you, when you, see, when you persevere and, and, when you, and when you don't. That said, it's also worth noting, they don't quit. They just move the gospel to the next city. It's like, okay, this door's closing. Uh, we're just going to continue preaching the gospel. We're going to continue move. We'll just go to the next, you know, open door that God brings to the next city and continue that. So it's not like they're, you know, pulling back and saying, wow, ministry is harder than we thought. You know, I guess we're not going to do it. It's like, no, it, we, we knew that. Nevertheless, it's helpful to watch that. It's just a place for us to think through, you know, of where that lands and where it lies. And, and, and so there is this place of just kind of seeing, you know, walking through the, the trials and troubles that come our way and that space of perseverance and yet that place of also, hey, you know, there's good choices that sometimes have to be made never uh, to pull back from Christ, but to also just walk wisely uh, in, in a way that would say, hey, we're not, you know, just throwing ourselves out there to be killed in the midst of that. And, you know, it's one of those places that people are having to deal with that around the world. We think of churches in, in North Korea today, today and, and people in spaces where they are having to make choices. Like, okay, you know, I love Jesus, but boy, we're not going to gather publicly where they're just going to kill us. We make choices that are going to make it where this is where we gather. You know, I hope that's never choices you have to make. It might be coming, though. And there's something about just having that place of just like, I love the beauty of, of both perseverance and yet practical wisdom, walking in the midst of it, and they do that very thing. Well, they're there. They, they leave Iconium. Again, they're driven out uh, because of the persecution. They're, they're moving on to this place, and it tells us again they, they flee to Lystra and, and to Derby. And so, uh, really, from verse 8 to 20 of this chapter, we get this place where they, you know, navigate down there. I'll put the map up later again while we're just kind of see that, but it's a city right there beneath Iconium, and they head into this place, and they're preaching the gospel there, just continuing what they're doing. They're preaching the gospel throughout that region, uh, throughout the cities around there, and then it just highlights a specific situation. So verse 8, it says, in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Pause there. Just, I mean, it's one of those places where Luke, who is kind of medically kind of minded, he goes out of his way to make sure we get it. He says it three times. 
I mean, he says it three times. I mean, this is a guy, a certain man, he doesn't have strength in his feet. Uh, he's a cripple. He's been a cripple since he was born. He had never walked. I mean, he's like, yes, this, this guy's in this place, you know, difficult. I mean, never having walked. He's in all of that. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand straight up, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped up and walked. Wow. We get a pretty cool scene. Uh, Much we could talk about, but we'll just kind of pass it quickly and just say, hey, there's this amazing place. And we know that God does this. God is a God who can heal. He does heal. Eventually, we're all going to get healed. I mean, if you know Jesus, that's coming. But there's places he can do it. But one of the fun ways is watching this happen. I mean, Paul's there and he sees it. He sees it. I mean, he has, you know, kind of a a discernment from God that this guy's going to get healed. This guy believes, and, and, and this is what God has, and, and he's able to step right towards that and just walk in that. Now, I like thinking that through. Now, just going to be quite honest with you, that's not my gift. I don't have the gift of healing. God wants to work that through me. I'm always interested, and in, yes, please, Lord, but I do find myself thinking there's something beautiful about understanding it. I mean, sometimes people struggle with the gift of healing because they're like, well, if you had the gift of healing, wouldn't you just heal everybody? That's not how it works. It's sovereign. This is God. I mean, God gets to, 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 to work that through. So even when somebody has this gift, it's not that they get to go and think, I think I'm going to heal you and you and you. It's just like, no, God's doing it. He's able to see it and walk in it. That's a beautiful thing. And again, maybe that's your gift. Maybe it's not. But you do have a gift. And I want to just say there's a uniformity to the way this works that God draws us to walk in those things that he stands, steps right out in front of us. That it tells us in Ephesians, that we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's gone ahead of us to prepare so we can walk in them. And the same thing happens to us even if your gifting's different. Places where you just can look and just kind of get an insight. I think God has me to do that. I, I think I'm supposed to do that. Maybe, you have, maybe you're an evangelist, and sometimes you could just, you could, you know, be walking through Walmart, and then all of a sudden you know. It's like, I am supposed to share with that guy right there. I'm just have a sense that I'm supposed to go right up there and do that. Maybe you have a gift of mercy and the same kind of reality. You can be there and all of a sudden you just, it's like that. That's a, this is a God-given opportunity. This is something he's prompting me to do. And then you step towards that. That's what Paul does. It's a beautiful thing that happens in the midst of ministry, which is a really good space for us to say, God, whatever gift you want to work through me, I want this. I want the place of seeing what you're doing and then joining you in that work. And that's exactly what Paul does. That said, it doesn't necessarily go well. And sometimes we're like, boy, if I could do that, you know, if I could walk around and do something supernatural, people would respond. This one goes badly quickly. Maybe it would have gone badly quickly anyway because of where the people's hearts are, but it goes bad fast. Notice there what happens. It says in verse 11, now when the people saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and tendering to sacrifice uh, with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran among the people, crying out. I'll pause there, and just, it's this idolatrous exaltation. 
I mean, it's a weird thing almost even for us to read this, not so much in that culture. Without spending a bunch of time on it, there was stories that kind of populated in that region. Some would say even in that, the city of Iconium that they believed that in times past that the Greek gods had done this, had sent you know, speakers into that, and, and, and people had denied that. And because of that, you know, whole, the whole city was poisoned and people died. That fear has gripped that city and that region. So right now, the moment this happens and somebody says, hey, these are, you know, God's walking among us. They're like, ah, you know, you know don't want to repeat. And so they, they fall back into these base things that are theirs. They begin to, you know, look upon Paul and Martis and they began to treat them as gods, began to, you know, worship and bow down. And this is kind of a scary moment. Hey, a number of Bible students have pointed out that maybe this is one of the most dangerous places uh, for, for Paul and Barnabas, how it could have gone badly if they had, you know, tried to leverage this. And like, well, you know, hey, we could use this. <laughs> you know, kind of use this to kind of, you know, we'll kind of take it and we'll turn it or we'll accept this to go, you know, in ways. There's ways that could have, you know, fed into that, that prompting of their heart, whatever that would be there. And there's this dangerous moment for us to think through. Hey, we'll talk about it a little bit more in a second, but let's go back and see their response. It says in verse 14, the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this. They tore their clothes. They ran in among the multitude and they began crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God and made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave without, without a witness in that he did good and gave rain from the heavens and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So they're doing everything they can to restrain. I mean, they're doing everything they can to stop this, but it, it's like they could barely do it. They could barely restrain them. But it's worth noting that as they are not allowing uh, them to be worshipped, not allowing them to be treated as, as gods, they do so with the gospel. They do so uh, in this moment by explaining like, hey, this is exactly what we're telling you not to do. I mean, we, we, they're, they're doing this in a way instead of saying, hey, this is why we're here. I mean, we're here to tell you that you are serving, again, I like the way he says it. You know, we're the, we're the same nature as you. We're the same kind of people. And we're telling you to turn from these useless things. Like your, your beliefs and these other gods, they don't do you any good at all. You, you're believing things that are absolutely useless. And we're inviting you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who has been that God, you know, who has, you know, sent rain and blessed all the things that, you know, the false gods were taking credit for in many ways in those cultures that they would attribute rain or whatever to. It's like God is the one who's been doing this, and he is doing everything he can uh, to pull them back and, and, and draw them to this. It's a good space to notice that they use the gospel, that this idea of what God is and who he is, as this that would rescue. So how is this helpful? Well, you may already be ahead of me, but let me just do my best to try to help you think through. Maybe it has happened, probably hasn't. Maybe it'll never happen to somebody that somebody, you know, seeks to bow down to you and treat you as Zeus or Hermes. Maybe that's just a unique thing in that space, but I'll tell you this. 
For some of you have had people who have tried to put you on a pedestal, who have tried to make you more. Oh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're holy. You're one of those holy people. I mean, you know, you're not like the average person here. And, and it's happened probably that somebody in their foolishness has tried to make you more, who has tried to treat you as something more than them, uh, more holy, more beautiful, more powerful, more whatever, and you should always turn away from that. I mean, you should, all, you, you should do everything you can to tell people, like, I am, I am not. <laughs> like, we are all this. I mean, I have the same nature as you do. Like, we, we have the same thing. And yet there's power in making sure that we do that with the gospel. Again, I'm trying to think about how to say this, and, and God give me words to say it. Um, it's possible to resist somebody exalting you and still spend the entire time talking about yourself. It's possible to, for, for somebody who would put you on a pedestal and tell you, oh, well, you are so holy. Like, you're one of those, like, really, and you could be like, oh, no, I'm not. Let me tell you why I do everything I do. And, and you could spend the next 10 minutes telling people all about you, and it's a weird thing that our pride can do, that we can try to be humble by being prideful, it's a weird deal. It's a weird deal how it happens sometimes, and I just love what Paul does. He says, I'm, this is exactly the gospel. We're telling you that we are all of the same nature. We have a God who is, who is at work in our lives, and, and these things are useless. He is the one who is the living God. You need him. Like, he's the one that's been at work. He's the one that's been in the midst of it. And I love that that conversation goes there. It's a good space for us to happen. Because here, again, here's what I'm just putting out to you. You could read this chapter and go, Jim, that's never going to happen to me. They're never going to treat me as Zeus. Maybe not. But some will exalt you. Some of you have it happening right now. You have people who treat you like, oh, you know, you're one of those people. And instead of saying, instead of you coming and saying, I'm not. I mean, I'm telling you the gospel, and the gospel is telling us that we are all filthy sinners. There, there's not any one of us that have any other access to hope in our own nature than anybody else. Our culture, our, our race, our, 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 our gender, none of those things kind of give me, you know, merit above anybody else. The only merit I have is Christ. The only merit is I have is, is God, is the living God, and He is the one that sent His Son to bring. That's our hope, and that's our power. Those are the conversations that we get to have. Those are the spaces that we get to speak, and I encourage that. In fact, I will pause right here and just say, boy, I hope it's what you hear now. I hope there's any in this room, anybody online right now in the overflow, that you are in that space that maybe you see us as special people. Uh, you see church people and Christians, and you're like, well, you know, you guys are like a whole different category. You guys, are, you guys are like the good people in a bad world, and we're just trying to tell you right now, no, we're not. We're bad people in a bad world, and the only reason we have hope is Christ, and if, we've helped, if there's anything we've done to answer those questions that's made you think that we're better, we are not. We're telling you the gospel. We're telling you that God sent his son, and, and, and that's exactly what you need, that you need to turn to him you know, who, who's drawing us to him in Christ, and we invite you to that even now. Well, that's what they do. And it says with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to him. There in verse 18. Wild scene. But it gets weirder yet still. 
Many of you guys know the chapter. You know what's going to happen next. It says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Crazy scene. I mean, talk about just this roller coaster. I mean, in one moment, they're gods. The next moment, they're killing them. The next moment, these people come and they gather together, having persuaded the multitudes. They, sto- they stone Paul. They think he's dead. Hey, there's a bunch of debate among Bible students. Did Paul really die? Is this, is this maybe when Paul had his you know, heavenly vision that he talks about in Corinthians? It's enough just to say that the text seems to say he didn't. Luke is a doctor. He writes that way, and, it's, and, and the word that he uses says that they supposed him to be dead, and the way he says it is he wasn't, but they thought he killed him. I mean, they, it, it was bad enough that they thought, he's dead. Like, we killed him, I mean, kind of deal, and, and, and that's exactly what they've done. Now, Again, this is one of those wild little things that we just get to talk about for a moment. And if I can help you here this evening by seeing it, even expecting it, I think I will have done what I'm supposed to do. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. It's a weird thing how it happens. Sometimes these experiences are exactly what we go through. The kind of thing where you can ride, ride this roller coaster where at one moment somebody thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread, and then a day later, boy, you're dirt. Like, you're, you're, you're the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst. It's a weird roller coaster to ride. I wonder if you've ridden it. I wonder if you've had somebody in your family or workplace, and, and you know, one moment you are, the, you, you are the most amazing, generous, gracious, kind person they've ever met in their whole life, like you're the you know, poster child for Christianity, and then the next day, boy, you are the worst thing, the most heinous and, and, and cruel and rude, and, and you're like, how did, how, that's weird. It's just like this weird thing that happens, But I think it's helpful to understand that if that takes place in your life, it is just not to be surprising. It is not to be surprising. See, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've done this long enough that it's less surprising to me than it used to be. I've been a pastor here now for 28 years, and it's a funny scene. Uh, Definitely not saying it happens all the time. But it happens enough that, you know, uh, every now and then we have people that come and they're, they're, they're new people at the church and then they'll come in to visit uh, with me. I know when Pastor Phil was here, we used to sometimes meet them together and, you know, they would just begin, oh, this is the greatest church we've ever found. Like, you are the most eloquent pastor. This is so, we just love this church. And, and they would just, if, if the more they say, and then they would leave, and, and I got kid you not, like it would, Pastor, Pastor Phil and I would kind of look over each other and think, how long do you think we got? You know, do you think we have a week? I mean, I'm just kind of curious, how, you know, how long till we're, you know, and it's happened so many times. It's happened so many times that those same people that thought we were the best thing ever pretty soon are like, man, that's the worst church. They are the most unloving, unkind, you know, mean. I would never, I mean, and, and they began sending emails, and it's like, it's just not surprising about the whole deal. And I guess I'm telling you that because I'm hoping that it's not surprising to you. That's part of this journey. I mean, in this weird world of sin, this weird world of brokenness, that it shouldn't find you, you know, just shocked by that. In fact, one of the things I like about it is, is what we watch in the midst of this. So they do all of this. There's this, you know, kind of crushing dishonor and kind of killing Paul. And it says in verse 20, however, 
When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and, and went into the city. And the next day he departed uh, with Barnabas to, to Derby. I mean, there's just something kind of funny about it, if not just helpful. I mean, Paul gets up and he just goes back into the city. They just tried to kill him. I mean, that's just kind of crazy. And yet then, he'd go, then he leaves. I mean, obviously he's in that same space that it was in Iconium. It's like, hey, this door's closing. We're just going to go to the next city. And he just keeps on going. Maybe that's part of it. There is this perseverance that would say, hey, through the highs and lows, Paul didn't really change. I mean, he was preaching the gospel before, and he's preaching the gospel after. Uh, he is just kind of like, hey, this is kind of what it looks like, you know, no big surprise in many ways, and, and it goes through that way, and maybe that's my encouragement to you, is that, hey, when those things happen, and they probably have or will, hey, don't let them change you. Don't let it, don't, you know, it's like, well, you know, super high, terrible low, yeah, <laughs> Just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep going on that road that I'm on because that's the road that we're on. I mean, this, this world is confused and broken, and that, that pattern is laid out before us, and that's exactly what he does. Well, we watch that. We, we watch all that happen again, happening at Lystra. We're continuing on this journey, and it just gives us a very quick response of what happens next. Uh, you know, it says, they, the next day they departed with Barnabas to Derby at the end of verse 20, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So it doesn't tell us much about it, except that they just preached the gospel. A lot of people got saved. And many disciples there, and, and, and probably many stories that could be a part of it, but it was enough just to help us to see that, and this really each reaches the, the end of their journey. And so the rest of the chapter is going to have their return uh, back to Antioch. And so again, if it's helpful, I'll put it up on the screen. So this is where we watched. They'd launched out from Antioch over in Syria, gone through uh, Cyprus, got up there into Pisidia, ended up in Antioch of Pisidia, different Antioch again, by the way, made their way over to Iconium, went down to Lystra. Now they're all the way over at Derby, and now it's time to go home. It's worth noting uh, that the quickest journey home would have been an overland journey back to the Antioch, or they could have gone down to Tarsus, but that's not really what they do. Uh, they decide, hey, we're going to go back the way we came. We're going to go back uh, and see how all the churches are doing that we just planted. We want to go and uh, kind of encourage them, so they, they make their way back. They go back through Iconium, uh, in, in, through Antioch. They land down in Perga, and there they stop and preach the gospel, and it gives us that very quickly tells us uh, again there, and uh, in, in the midst of it, you can just jump, jump down to verse 24. It says, and after they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atlatia, and so they preached the gospel there. And there's just a number of things that leaves us um, without answers. So I'm just going to point them out to you very quickly. So it's an interesting thing that they didn't preach the gospel there on the way. It's an interesting way, the idea they came out of Cyprus, they land up there, probably land in Perga, and had gone up into, into Antioch. Why didn't they preach the gospel in Perga? We don't know. Except that this whole region becomes the region of Galatia, uh, becomes the region, the region that Paul would write to in the book of Galatians, and he would say that he was, uh, in his own infirmity, he brought the gospel. Uh, that he brought the gospel to this area in the first place. And so it could be that he was sick. It could be just some, some, some physical things happen in the midst of it, just guesses that Bible students make. Either way, they come back and preach the gospel in those cities that they had kind of passed through quickly there on the coast. Uh, on the way there, they'd come through Cyprus. On the way back, they skip. 
They don't go back through Cyprus. No explanation given, just worth noting. It's going to play part of the story when Barnabas decides he wants to go back uh, to Cyprus later. Paul, and, and just in the midst of it, it's enough just to notice, hey, there's, there's obviously more to the story, but that's not where it's drawing us. Instead, it just wants us to feel it. So we want to go back to it, and I want you just to notice a few things that they're going to do uh, as they go back over this journey and look back over there, this return. That'll just be a few things worth noting here in the text, and may God just draw them where he has it to. Going back in verse 21, it said, When they preached the gospel in that city uh, in, in Derby, they'd made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, to continue in the faith, saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they go back through the cities, they go back through all the places where they share the gospel, and they just do a few things that are just, again, worth your noting. It says they went back to strengthen. They went to strengthen the souls. I just like it. It's like the way it says it. It's like, hey, we just wanted to strengthen people in God. We wanted to encourage them in the things that were there, and yet they do so with an honest encouragement, the same honest encouragement that I've tried to give you this evening. They come to these brand new believers, people who just gave their life to Christ and remind them, hey, we, it's going to be a hard road. <laughs> we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I don't know where it lands with you. I'm just going to say, say again, I love the honesty of Scripture that is sometimes a little bit more honest than we want to be. I mean, for, for some of us, we're like, oh, don't tell, don't tell them that. Like, tell them it's going to be hard, and, you know, nobody's going to get saved, or they're not going to stay. It's like, no, they're honest. Like, hey, this is the, I mean, we just want to make sure you understand. Uh, this is the road that we're on. I mean, this isn't surprising to us. We just, we know where we're going. Like, this isn't an option. We must this, is, this isn't a, we might, we must through many tribulations. Well, there's going to be a lot of troubles, there's going to be a lot of heartaches. That's what this world is, that's how the, the, and, and that's the road we're on. But we're going to the kingdom of God. We're, we're heading to the other side of this. Like, that's the space that we're on, and he encourages them in that space. And so, I just do so one more time. I encourage you. Hey, it's not surprising. Keep going. Like, this is where we are. We're on the right side of this, and we're pressing through a broken world. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. They appoint elders in, in every church, and, which is a powerful reality. They began establishing churches, uh, raising up pastors and leaders in the midst of it, kind of creating spaces that weren't there before, which is a fun thing, which, again, is just one of these amazing things. Like, these are pretty much new believers. I mean, were they there weeks, months, maybe a year in places? I don't know. But, man, they have these brand-new believers, and they're raising them up and saying, hey, you're going to be the pastors, you're going to be the leaders, you're going to be the ones that watch over this. But it's a good rhythm for us to remind, hey, that's, that's what they need. It's what we need. Hey, there's a strength that, that's found in strengthening our souls. There's an honest encouragement. Uh, there's, a, there's a godly structure that's taking place in the midst of us as they do that. And then they just commend them to the Lord. I like the way it says it. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And I've tried to imagine what this feels like. In a day without phone calls or email or FaceTime, to plant a church, pretty much new believers, and then say, hey, we're going to trust you into God's hands. Like, we're going we're, we're to trust you. we got to go. You know, we're heading back. 
And, and yet we, 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 we're going to you know, commend you and trust you into the hands of God. That's a powerful way. It's a powerful picture. It's a powerful way that life is done. We live in a little bit more of a connected age, and sometimes that's more dangerous. Uh, sometimes, for some of us, we take more on ourselves than, than is ours. There really is a space that God is inviting us to say, God, hey, it's yours. Uh, these people are yours. Um, I love the Philippians 1.6 that, you know, God tells us that he is able, you know, he will finish, you know, that which he has started in Christ, you know, that we can have confidence in that, that we can have a beautiful confidence in that. And sometimes there's a space of being able to have that even in other people. To be able to say, hey, I've shared the gospel, I've, you know, I, I, and I can trust God, you know, with you. Because if, if God started it, he'll complete it. If this is real, he'll take care of it. And there's a powerful way of doing that. Certainly where, where, the, where they are able to do that, and so they do. Well, picking it up, verse 24. After they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adlatia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, from where they had, where they had been commended to, to the grace of God for the work that they had completed. So they go back to where it started, and they, they go back to where the Holy Spirit had sent them out, and I just, I don't know, I like the words. They did it. The work was completed. Um, it was. They, they, end, they, they ended the journey that God had sent them on. They completed uh, the work that God had called them to. And again, maybe I just find that fun to read. Um, in, in a world of half-done projects and starting without finishing, I like watching things finish. I love to see, hey, we did what God called us to do. They did it. They go back there. And then they gather everybody together. I mean, they come and they gathered them in verse 27, the church together. They reported all that God had done with them and, all, and that he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they get back there and they gather everybody together and they tell them what God had done. That God had opened a door, that people believed. That's a good story, right? I mean, that's exactly what happened but I think I want to come back and try to tie this into the thought that we've been weaving through this evening. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. This is not the only thing that happened. It was a rough journey. I mean, it was a rough journey. I mean, John quit. Um, maybe Paul was sick. He'd gotten beaten up and left for dead. He'd been driven out of cities. I mean, there had been a lot of opposition that had happened in the midst of this. And maybe what I find kind of exciting, maybe helpful, that's not even really part of the story. Maybe it came up. Maybe they talked about some of that. It's certainly not what's recorded here. And, and I don't want to just, you know, kind of highlight that, you know, glass half full, glass half empty kind of reality. I just want to say sometimes because it's true that in this world we're going to have trouble, sometimes that surprises us, and so it becomes the main thing we talk about oh, it's hard. People don't like me. It's a weird thing. I have these people that think they hate me now. I don't even know what's going on with all this whole thing. And it's very, very possible that that becomes the topic of our conversation. I might be wrong, but I think sometimes it's a topic of our conversation because we didn't expect it. Instead of thinking, of course it's going to go that way. Of course there's going to be trouble and trial. Like, Life, that's what we're all going through. I mean, in this world, we all have trouble. But I can tell you in the midst of that trouble, 
God is on the move. God is on the move. He's opened up brand new doors. I want to tell you what Paul says. Is I want to tell you that, there, that God is at work and, and, and the door of faith is opening and, and he is highlighting the, the wonder of what God is doing and I like it. I like that. And I want to just invite you to that as well. Because see, I, I think about it. I think about all that we've seen. I think about you know, this first journey and all that went in the midst of this. And I go back again to Jesus' words where he is getting ready just to send the disciples out and tell them that. And he just tells us, hey, it's going to be hard. Like, don't be surprised it's going to be hard. Don't be surprised that you're going to have trouble in this world. But here's what you can know. You can have peace and you can know I already won. Like, we're, out, we're on the winning side of this. Like, I've paid the price for sin. You know, heaven's coming. There's victory here. It's found in me. And he invites us, even in the midst of that reality, to find that hope. I wonder if you have. I, I wonder if tonight um, you're in that space where you would recognize Jim is right. I mean, we, life is hard sometimes. Things are hard. There's resistance. There's difficulty. I recognize all that those things would be in the midst of that, but I know my God is at work. I trust him, I have peace in him, and I know he's winning. People are getting saved, things are happening in the midst of that. I'm more excited about that than I am about the broken world. And and I find myself thinking there's something helpful in that moment. There's something helpful in that place where God would invite you and I to be in that space. So I I want just to, to long that that would meet you where you are into a space that right now, in the midst of where you're found, you would find that your story isn't all that different. That has to be part of the reason the Holy Spirit is laying this out. Not just so that we could look and go, hey, first missionary journey. Check, man, that's pretty cool. You know, see where they went, see how it came back. Has nothing to do with me. Not meant to be that way. You may not be the Paul the Apostle. You might not have the gift of healing. But God is at work, and he's inviting you to be at work. And I think about maybe the three main lessons that stick out to me from this chapter. You know, that first one was, hey, they, you know, it tells us back at the beginning, it says, you know, when the opposition come up, therefore they stayed there a long time. I just like that. I, I, I just like that in the midst of this, that, that trials aren't going to pull you away. The second thing I really, really loved was that space where, hey, when it got hard, you know, he got hard. Paul just, he just, he just kept going. He, he didn't change. In fact, he, you know, continued to preach the gospel to him. I mean, continued to, to do that whole space. And, and, and I would just invite you to that, to, to be those who stay, to be those who press through. But as we end it tonight, that we'd be those that see it, that we're able to, to not just focus on the brokenness of the world, because it is broken, but to say, in the midst of it, God is on the move. God is, God is on the move, and I'm more excited about that than I am about the trouble. I'm more excited that God is doing things today. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, people get weird. Yes, people can, can fight back, but that's not the big deal. The big deal is that God is moving. So as we close this evening, I want to go back to those words again and just read them and, and, and then pray them for us longing that tonight it wouldn't just be words on the page, but just there in verse 22. Paul says he went back there and he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. May God meet you in that.
Let's pray for that right now. You can close your Bibles and let me just take that before the Lord and ask that he would do those things right now in you. Father, you see us. Um, We are here before you and I love these words and I just pray them over us. I pray right now that you would strengthen souls. You would strengthen souls of disciples. Those who are your followers, those who are, who are those who are believers in, in following you, and yet they're in a world that is hard. Would you strengthen them? Would you breathe life into them right now? Fresh life that would be strength for this moment? God, would you exhort them to continue in the faith? Would you come along and encourage our hearts not to give up, not to quit, not to pull back, but to stay with you. To be those who hold fast in the midst of a world that's hard. Thank you for being honest about it. Thank you for telling us. Thank you for in these words right here that you tell us that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, thank you for making it so clear when you told us in this world we're going to have trouble. I I am so appreciative of your honesty in in making it clear so that we recognize this isn't weird. This isn't what you didn't say would happen. It's what you said would happen. But Jesus, I thank you in the midst of that you would be peace to us. That even though it's hard at times, even though there's trials and troubles, You said you would give us peace, not the kind of peace the world would give. Your peace. You also reminded us that you've already won. As you died on the cross, you paid for our sins, you rose from the grave. It's done. We're fighting a battle that you've already won. The end of this story is not in doubt. Jesus, you're coming back. You're you're remaking the world. Heaven's coming. Lord, thank you that those things are true, even though in the midst of it, there's challenges. We have to go through trials and tribulations. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I know that's not for a couple people here this evening. It's for all of us. It's for all of us, because your word is that clear. Would you strengthen us? Would you encourage us? Would you help us to be those who would find ourselves encouraged? And I find joy as the, as the story ends, as Paul recounts it, that his, his great joy is that you were on the move, that you were working. People, hearts were turning to you. Doors are opening. People are getting saved. I thank you that it's happening in our world today. I pray it's happening even here, that you draw people here to you. I believe in you. I believe that you're that God who's on the move and, and at work. So we trust you right now and we thank you. We pray your blessing, your strength, and your work in us that again our souls would be strengthened by you. We ask for that together and we ask it right now in Jesus' name. Amen.